where you got that. Good morning, everybody. We are poking fun, kind of, at uh, things that can maybe steal Christmas. And so we're trying to be lighthearted about some things that sometimes can be a little bit more serious. And so what we're poking fun at this week is the gifts that stole Christmas. Okay, maybe a few of you have joined me in this. I, I don't know if you've ever had any personal neurotic gift quests. Anybody kind of done that before? You've been that. We make movies about this, don't we? Right? Like whatever the, the latest Tickle Me Elmo is going to be where we make these neurotic gift quests. And so I've been on the wrong side of this more than a few times. I have missed. I have whiffed. I have waited too long. You ever done that? Yeah. And so, and then have you ever been in a situation where you didn't understand what the gift giving rules were? Anybody been in this? Maybe you'd have like an office culture, a neighborhood culture, a something small group culture. And so you didn't know what the rules were. Right. And so you don't know what the level of gift giving is. You ever, you ever been there? Some of you are, come on, anybody get with me on this? So you don't know the amount right? For example, so you can go like come in way low, like you come in with your $10 gift card, right? And then you receive the $300 gift in exchange. That's a really wonderful one. Or you go the other way, right? While you come in gangbusters, and of course you in the secret Santa picked someone who is of the opposite sex, and so it looks like you're doing something really creepy because you went next level on your gift because you found, right, and it gets all weird. But the gifts kind of in that neurotic quest can kind of get away from us. I, okay, I remember a day when, well, there was a store that brought great hope to, oops, sorry, to my kids. Toys R Us. We had that quest. Do you ever do that? You, you walk the Toys R Us quest. And some of us are of an age, I'm of an age, in which we used to comb through, wait for it, the Sears catalog. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you'd go through, and it's like, oh my gosh. Oh, I love Jesus even more. Oh, I love him a little more. Woo! Oh, that's the bike right there. <laughs> so, so the gifts can kind of get in. The way, and of course, what we want to collect ourselves around is the ultimate gift, right? That that as we talk about Jesus, in fact, he is proclaimed as a gift, and so so part of worshiping him is to receive him as a gift. So we're going to get there at the back end, I, I promise. We're going to talk a little bit about these gifts that stole Christmas and really about kind of how it is that the Christmas story helps us understand what grace looks like for Jesus to give us a gift of grace in and through his person and what it is that he did on our behalf. So you heard it. Maybe you can hear the echoes already in what Haley and Micah read. So we're going to walk through those here. We're going to use as our template that first verse that they, they read, 2 Corinthians 8 9. I think maybe we'll have it on the screen here for us as well. Here, here it is, 2 Corinthians 8 9. You can see it in the, the writing here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul writes, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. So you can kind of see a circle there, and that's kind of what we're going to do here, okay? So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Grace is a gift, right? An overwhelming gift, an unmerited gift. He was rich. So Jesus is rich, 
And yet in his richness, he chooses to become poor so that, by implication, poor people, you and me, might become rich. That's the trajectory that we're going to follow, okay? Paul kind of walks us through that. That's kind of a great way, a brilliant way in Paul's teaching to help us understand the magnitude of what it is that Jesus has done. So, so let's just take that as a template, okay? We'll talk, let's talk about Jesus' riches, and then let's talk about how, what it means that he became poor, and then let's talk about the fact that we as poor people need his riches, and then what the riches are that he gave to us, okay? So let's, do, let's, let's have some fun, let's do, do that. So let's talk a little bit about Jesus' riches, and so we, we looked at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This has always been, it's just been magnificent to me. Uh, over the years to, to, to listen to the writer of Hebrews. I'm sorry, I'll get this right by the end of the thing uh, here. But the writer of Hebrews and the list that the writer of Hebrews creates in introducing us to Jesus and his superiority, or superiority over everything and, and everyone. But let's just look at, the, look at the titles here real quick about Jesus' riches that the writer of Hebrew gets to kind of get our mind around well, the magnificence of, of who he is and his riches. Look at verse 2, for example. In these last days, he has spoken to us. God has spoken to us by his son. So no longer through spokespeople, but through his own, his very own son. Okay, so here's Jesus' riches as he begins to go through the list. Who is the son? Okay, he appointed the heir of all things. Okay, that's a lot through whom also he created the world. Those are things that we have looked at in the Gospel of John, if you've been with us this fall, actually the, the, most of this year. Now, he turns it now, and he says in verse 3, he is the radiance, that is Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds all things, or the universe, by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because he had a greater name. He was superior to angels and had a greater name. than they. Okay, that's a long list. It's an unimaginable list. It's a layered and nuanced list. It's a powerful list. Jesus is the heir of all Things. Jesus is the creator of all that there is that has ever been created. In, in the Gospel of John, in John 1, 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. We've rehearsed that a number of different times. This ascription that is given to Jesus, it, it, it's designed to kind of get it, to orient us to ultimate reality, but it also blows our minds. It's unimaginable to think that everything that's been created was created by someone that we know who walked the earth. But it gets, it goes crazy, right? Verse 3, radiance of the glory of God, the manifestation in the exact imprint of his nature. If you ask the question, what is God like? Everybody says, point to Jesus. That's what God is like. He's exactly because it's in, he is God. And oh, by the way, when he's just hanging out, he upholds the entire universe. So he's 
the answer to the second law of thermodynamics, why things don't go where they go, and all these kinds of things that we come up with in there. And, uh, and Oh yeah, and he made purification for sins because in himself, he uniquely and only was capable of doing something that no one can actually do for themselves. If you could make yourself pure, you would. But no one can. And no priest can. No intermediary can. And no self-effort can. No self-help can. And no improvement can. And no, no one can. But Jesus can and did. And so this list about Jesus' riches is absolutely staggering, but what is staggering is not just that each one of these is bottomless, it's the breadth of it all, right? He's simultaneously upholding the entire universe. He's simultaneously making purifications for all sin for all time. He is simultaneously the exact representation of the nature of God. He is simultaneously the heir of all things. He is simultaneously, he's, he's all of that. The breadth of it is absolutely breathtaking. But staggering. That's the beginning or a concise description of the riches that Jesus had and walked out of, in a sense, to become poor. That Jesus had all of that, and Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was that, yet for your sakes he became poor poor so that you through his poverty might become rich that Jesus gave up the expression that he was ordinary Isaiah in the Old Testament says that he he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief that there was nothing about his person where he would have walked into the room and we would have thought oh he's different he's next level he's something he's perfect or whatever he he blended in he was one of us and so this poverty this humility that Jesus took on was so that you and I through his poverty might become rich Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, says that God had deputized him, appointed him, to proclaim to non-Jewish people the unfathomable riches of Christ. That that was Paul's commission and that he was, he was empowered by God to be able to, to do that, to be able to, this bottomless well of the beauty and the magnitude of who Jesus was. And at the same time in those unfathomable riches, invited also to proclaim Jesus' poverty. J.I. Packer, the writer of Knowing God, says it, says it like this, that in his book, Knowing, Knowing God, I start every Christmas season by reading one of the chapters in there, God Incarnate. I can't 
recommend it highly enough. It just, it just hits me. And so this is what he sa- says in, uh, in knowing God about Jesus. We see now what it meant for the Son of God to become poor. It meant a laying aside of his glory, a voluntary restraint of power, an acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill treatment, malice, and misunderstanding. Finally, a death that involved such agony that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it. It meant love to the uttermost for unlovely human beings that they, through his poverty, might become rich. I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, the TV show Undercover Boss, but you, do you know the premise of it in there too, right? You have the CEO and he becomes a regular person, goes in disguise and becomes a regular person. And so there's, there's a sense in which, right, it mimics something that's magnificent ultimately in Jesus, that he became ordinary, right? that his humanity was real, and in his ordinariness, he experiences the genuineness of humanity. He becomes poor, and he's subject in principle to everything that you and I are subject to. I mean, just look at that short list from, from Packer. Voluntary restraint of power, acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill treatment, malice, and misunderstanding, and finally, in Jesus' case, death. But aren't those things that we have in common? I mean, okay, hardship, sure. Isolation, yes. Ill treatment, mm-hmm. malice and misunderstanding. How, where do I start? And so, yes, Jesus was subjected to all of those things, and in the same kind of way, he joined us in that journey, became poor. And the reason, of course, that he became poor in that ultimate sense was to take upon our sin, the purification that Jesus alone could actually procure. The thing that is always stunning about rehearsing the story and the trajectory of all of this, at least for me, is twofold. One was that it was all voluntary. This was something that Jesus chose to do. There was nothing that compelled him. There was nothing that mandated him. There was no, Jesus chose to do this in partnership with the Father and the Son, Father and the Spirit. This was something where Jesus said, "Yes, I will, in my riches, become poor." and take on humanity and take on humanity's sin in my taking on of humanity while never losing my deity. And so in all of that, Jesus did this in a voluntary way, and then it was a purposeful way. It was on purpose that he came to accomplish something for you and for me. So let's go back, kind of come up for air here a little bit. Where are we going? You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus is rich, Hebrews 1, staggering, mind-numbing. Jesus becomes poor. He takes on all of this stuff, the genuineness of his humanity, and is subject to the things that are common to people. So that Jesus in the utmost, right, as you see that incredibly well 
thought through phrase here that he, he, a death that involves such agony, agony that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it as he echoes the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus did that so that poor people might become rich through him. Who are the poor people? All of us. All, all, all of us. People, humans, all, all of us. And so there's a posture here that we embrace in our poverty. Now, <laughs> if, if that sounds offensive to you, it's supposed to. It, it, it is. It's an affront to our pride. That so many of us, as we hear something like this, we, we want to respond by figuring out some way to earn it or some way to pay back or, or, or some way to say, well, well, well here's how I'm going to... As opposed to receiving something that we can't possibly repay. Our, our poverty is described a whole bunch of different ways in, in the New Testament, but there's maybe a couple that I think are pertinent to... Th- th- maybe I should just say this in a personal way. They get my attention. Here's one of the, here's one of the ways our, our poverty is framed out in the New Testament. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In Ephesians chapter 2. Now, <laughs> when you are dead, you cannot make yourself alive, right? You, you can't do it. You, you, the only remedy for death is life. And if you are dead, you cannot make yourself alive. Otherwise, you would have stayed alive somehow, right? And so our sins have caused a spiritual death and a separation from God that only God can do something about because only God has the kind of life that can remedy that kind of death. So we are poor in that sense, right? And that has, that's the, tw- the twin sides of sin and of death. But we are also, also poor in the sense that there's nothing that we can do to remedy or to purify ourselves. We've already talked about that a little bit as well. So there is no antidote that comes from inside of us. And so we are poor in the sense that there's nothing that we ha- are able to do to remedy our spiritual situation. We can't do it. We need resources that come from outside of us. And to receive a gift like that takes humility. It does. It takes the acknowledgement that we can't do anything about it. Now, there are a lot of gifts that take humility, that take humility to receive. That that. That's not an unusual thing or it's not unique to, to the good news of Jesus, but it is necessary for the good news of Jesus to actually be, be received. It, it's kind of like, well, got some friends um, and a and, uh, guy's wife brought, <clears throat> excuse me, some, um, some uh, wrinkle cream that she gave to her husband. Okay? Yeah, so... Remember, there are gifts that kind of require humility in order to receive them. And so wrinkle cream comes to, to her husband. And he's like, well, what's this? It's lotion for, for your face, for, for wrinkles. Lo- he's like, lotion? 
you know, do you, I'm a, a man, men don't do lotion, okay, or whatever that, that stuff is. No, it, it's for, for wrinkle stuff. Well, okay, so gently but lovingly with a smile, sweetheart, I love you. This needs a little work, okay? It just, it needs, it needs a little work. Your face is falling into, gravity's winning, okay? Something needs to happen in this. So, in order for the husband to receive this wonderful gift of wrinkle cream, right? Husband has to say, okay, I guess my wife thinks this needs a little work right, right here, right? So, all right, here, here we go. And husbands, we dutifully say, yes, thank you very much, and then we put it in the back of the shelf. So anyway, that, that's, where we, that's where we go. Now, I, I, in sharing that, I, I, I just want to mention, in fact, I, I really need to do kind of a public service announcement on this right now. Men, this does not go well the other way, okay? <laughs> Some of you are thinking to yourself, self, he just solved my gift problem. This is so good. I've been, I don't know what to get my wife to. And so I saw one of these things flashed up on my social media thing, and I clicked it, and it was like, and so husbands, you cannot say, sweetheart, I found this. It popped up in social media. Boy, you should see the before and afters on this thing. Unbelievable. You are going to look so good here in six months. Wow, I can't even imagine. How... Right. That's not really going to work, okay? Yeah. Amen, ladies? Yeah, okay. So that, I did not. So, okay, public service announcement is over. Here we go. Let's kind of get back to where we're going. Here. Some gifts. <laughs> take humility to receive. They take an acknowledgement of reality, right? So the wrinkle cream takes in an acknowledgement that there's a reality. Now, there's a lot of different gifts that we could have used to kind of have, play with this, right? Hey, sweetheart, I just found the best mouthwash that exists, right? That's a great one. A deodorant, fantastic. Hey, I got you hearing aids for Christmas, right? I mean, there's a lot of, this goes a lot of different directions here. We could have picked a whole bunch in, in here, but it takes humility to say, yes, I need that. And it takes humility to look at the good news of Jesus and say, yes, I need him. And I, I abandon <laughs> my propensity to want to earn it or pay it back. What is required of me is to receive a gift to respond in faith that that gift can actually be for me. So let's go back to our ark here. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That we, as we embrace that poverty 
that is in us are blessed with what it is that Jesus has done on our behalf. And that's as you listen to Haley and Micah read. That's what we had finally in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Apostle Paul introduces what he's going to develop in Ephesians, and he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There, <laughs> there, there are phrases in the Bible where I just pause every once in a while and I think, can, can that really be true? Okay, that's I, I, embarrassing to say out loud to you guys, but like, it, it must be true. But is it, can it really be true? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That the riches that come to us are as broad and as deep as what it is, is Jesus as the source of them. In other words, what Jesus has accomplished for us all gets credited to our account. It gets deposited in us. We are recipients of everything that he has done. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, just to go Bible geeky on here on you for a second, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, verse 14, is one sentence in the Greek text. And so the smart people on my bookshelf don't even, some of them can't even call it a sentence because it's such a long, it's 202 words. Of, of just streaming from the Apostle Paul on developing what that looks like. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in and through Jesus. And there's almost like, there's not a colon there, but there's almost like, and here they are, right? And he just goes for 200 more words or whatever it is, where he describes what it is that God has done on our behalf. And it's language, even in a long and run-on sentence like that, to describe something that is incomprehensible. And the incomprehensible is that poor people like us have become that rich. That rich that rich. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's the offer of the good news. And it's why it's good news and it's why it's a staggering gift. Now, if your knees are buckling a little bit under some of the like, are you kidding me aspect, that's just as appropriate as the humility factor of saying, how can I, it's unimaginable to think that all of that through Jesus is for all the people who believe in him. All of them. It's not a respecter of persons. It's not a respecter of titles. It's not a respecter of cultures. It's not a respecter of gender. It's not a respecter it's for everyone 
who places their faith in Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes, that though he was rich, staggeringly, unfathomably rich, yet for your sakes he became poor to accomplish what he accomplished on our behalf, that you through that accomplishment might become that rich, staggeringly, unimaginably rich in and through Jesus. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 in describing this grace and what it looks like and how it is that we receive it uh, wrote some things that are familiar to, to, to many of us and he, he in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, actually in 10 as well, but in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, he, he, he wrote these things that, again, some of you have you, you've committed this to memory. For by grace, Paul writes, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, right, because you couldn't do it anyway, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And what you hear in that, right, is that gift language, that this is a gift. <laughs> it's something that God gives to people. That, that word gift, I just was playing with it a little bit too, just to make sure I kind of was tracking with, with what, what, what it is. And, and, and the way that my little Greek helper trans, translates it, it says it can be gift, gift, that's a completely appropriate uh, translation. But the, the other word that I just kind of chuckled, chuckled about is present. <laughs> It's a present. And so this time of year just seemed like one of those places where we could enjoy this unimaginable present and invite one another into the reception of that present. See, what we're invited into is to place our faith in Jesus and to receive him and all that he has done for us as a gift. And it's a gift of just unimaginable wealth so that we're never at a place where we think, well, I'm going to pay it back because that can't happen, right? It's one of those places where it takes the humility of the wrinkle cream <laughs> to get to that posture where we say, Jesus, I need you. So I'm going to invite the band, our worship team, to come back, and we're going to worship together. But we're going to do a couple different things. One is I'm just going to walk through some time together to pray. Some of you, uh, you don't remember a day where you had not received the gift of Jesus. You just, you grew up like that. You don't, you don't really remember a day. I mean, you're sure there was a day, but you aren't exactly sure. You just remember knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus died for your sins and he loves you and he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing the heavenly places in Christ. Others of you, you are newer to this and many of you over the last little while here have gone through the twists and turns of life where things have been, well, they've been real. They've been the things that J.I. Packer talked about that Jesus endured as well. And so the writer of Hebrews 
says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we might receive grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, for some of us who are down the road a little bit in the journey, one of the things that we need to receive and re-receive is that as we journey on, we still need grace. In fact, the longer we go on, the more we realize we actually really need. And so grace isn't a one-and-done thing where we trusted Jesus in a moment in time and now we move on with our life. No, we keep going. (laughs) We keep going to him. We keep receiving grace. Not because we don't believe what he's already done, but because we need more. And we constantly need it. So wherever you are kind of in the journey, new, maybe this is the first time you ever thought about receiving Jesus. Or maybe you are at a place where as the twists and turns and maybe the bumps and bruises of life have hit you since 2022 when you celebrated Christmas last time, you need to run to a throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm just going to take a moment, so let's be quiet. I'm going to pray with us and for us. And then we're going to celebrate all of this together in communion. Let's pray. Father, we are bowing. Our heads are bowed, our hearts are bowed, our bodies. We, We... bow before your greatness. We've sung about that already this morning. And as we celebrate your greatness, we also celebrate your goodness. And that it's not distant, (laughs) but it's for us. That you love us, that you care about us, that Jesus, you came for us that you ran to us. And so as we bow, we bow as people who want to appropriately humble ourselves and say, we need you. For some of us, maybe it's the first time we've said that to you. For others of us, it's over and over again. But as we come, all of us, we come to a throne of grace where the King of kings and Lord of lords has stooped and gotten low so through his poverty we might become rich. Can we even say this, Jesus? We want to receive and re-receive your riches. How can we be rich? But we are because of what you've done. So Jesus, we receive wherever we are. We receive your grace, your mercy. We receive your riches. And we say thank you to you that though you were rich, yet for our sakes you became poor so that we through your poverty might, gosh, become rich. 
Jesus, it's in your name we pray.